Spiral Dial Sci-Fi with a Soundscape Turning, she barked at the band to pay attention, bringing their heated debate to an abrupt conclusion. That's enough of this rubbish. This woman is in labour. We need to get to the clinic right away. Archie, you take the head end. Jeff, you make sure he doesn't bump into anything. Dustin, you run ahead and keep an eye out for trouble. Silence followed, together with a complete lack of movement. Now would be ideal, unless you want to be delivering this baby yourselves. Archie looked at Jeff. Well, who knew? Turns out you were bang on time after all. They both burst into a fit of giggles. There's nothing funny here. Jessica placed both hands firmly on her hips. We need to crack on. I don't know how much time she has. Archie shrugged. She looks absolutely fine to me. Maybe it's a false alarm. Look. Jessica glanced back and saw that Archie was right. Amy's breathing had slowed. Her limbs were relaxed. That fact notwithstanding, she was not about to back down on this one. I am the doctor here, and you'll do as I say. Jeff raised his eyebrows and folded his arms at a leisurely pace. Meanwhile, Dustin kissed his teeth at her, then slowly against the wall and removed his tobacco from his pocket. Really? Jessica huffed. There was no response. Fine, I suppose I'll do everything myself, as per usual. She flipped the brake on the bottom of Amy's bed. As for you, she spat in Archie's direction. Next time you want to discuss tension, I'll be only too happy to furnish you with a noose. Oh, Tetchy, are we? Archie cooed. Don't flip out on us. We'll help, won't we, boys? Just as long as you understand that what you are currently doing is completely and utterly pointless. And in fact, a veritable waste of our energy. We'd be much better off heading upstairs and having a fag. He caught sight of Dustin lighting up and plucked the cigarette from his hands. No smoking down here, idiot. We don't want to set off the fire alarm now, do we? Smirking, he took a long drag before stubbing it out and a long line on the pristine white wall. So, where was I again? That's it, the head end. They all fell into the positions and started pushing. Jessica was quite taken aback by their efficiency. She had been fully expecting them to veer from one side of the narrow corridor to the other, but instead the bed seemed to skim the sharp bends smoothly, as if on autopilot. Rounding a 90-degree corner, Jessica stopped. They had come to a dead end, a solid, smooth, steel wall. She looked over at Archie, gauging his reaction. He merely smiled, parking the bed at the end of the corridor before stretching his hand out onto the silver surface immediately in front of him. As soon as he touched it, her stomach leapt into her mouth. They were all falling, falling. The floor started to vibrate, the bed frame with it, emitting an eerie hum which caused the flimsy metal to resonate wildly until she thought that it might shatter into pieces. She clutched at it for support, heart racing. Turning her head, she realised that the band all seemed completely unaffected by their precipitous descent. Dustin was so relaxed that he had started to roll another cigarette. Archie remained still with his hand pressed against the wall and appeared extremely amused by her reaction. 
Don't tell me the ship's doctor is finally seasick, he chortled. Don't worry, we're nearly here. As he removed his hand from the wall, they all came to an abrupt stop. He drew his hand horizontally across the wall, and as he did so, the surface rippled with a green sheen. Once more he stroked it, and the wall itself seemed to dissolve before Jessica's eyes. Blinking, she realised that it had not, in fact, dissolved. It was a curtain, and a long, dark object hung before them. A light switch? Reaching up, she pulled on it, resulting in an angry yowl. The fur gave it away. It was Finn's tail. She stepped forward and realised that they had emerged into the alcove next to the concert hall, the place where she had left Finn curled up before the talent show. Finn himself seemed in no hurry to move from this comfortable nook. As she peered out of the alcove, she saw a train of grey-haired ladies and gentlemen processing out of the hall and down the spiral staircase. There was no sign of the captain or Patricia. None of the people she saw looked at all familiar. She searched for Ed and his new wife to no avail. Ahem, excuse me? Archie tapped on her shoulder. I thought we were in a super desperate hurry a few minutes ago. She turned to look at him. I suppose you're right, but how on earth will we get the bed down those stairs? Oh, that's easy. We push, he replied. You'd better tie the sheet on though, Jeff. We don't want anything going flying. Jeff was already in the process of knotting the sheets to the head of the bed, forming a sort of cradle below Amy's bump. Before Jessica had a chance to protest, he and Archie had launched the bed down the spiral staircase, leaping onto it at the last minute in what could only be described as a precipitous fashion. Coming through, bed ahoy, Archie yelled, clearly delighted by this opportunity to cause chaos. They flew down the staircase, Archie perched at the front of the bed and Jeff to the rear. They knocked people to one side and the other, just like dominoes. Jessica rushed after them, picking them up as best she could. No one seemed injured or even annoyed. In fact, none of them spoke at all. They met her gaze with that familiar, glassy stare, faces blank and unresponsive. By the time she had reached the clinic, Archie and Jeff were already walking down the corridor, freshly rolled fags in hand. She felt a deep sense of abandonment. Wait, aren't you going to... help? She tailed off. She heard her own voice suddenly really empathetic fall flat in the corridor. They continued to walk away. Sorry, darling, Archie called over his shoulder. Soundcheck waits for no human being, or baby, for that matter. Dustin will be by in a bit if you need anything. He doesn't really need to soundcheck, he only makes one sound after all. See you after the show. Crestfallen, she turned and contemplated the clinic door. As she did so, someone approached in a rush of footsteps. I've got to say, darling, make sure you've got the speakers turned up for this one. It's looking like it'll be quite the spectacular performance. Archie kissed her on the cheek before he turned tail and fled, leaving a faint odour of old cigarettes in his wake. As they disappeared down the corridor to satisfy their nicotine cravings, a heavy sense of responsibility settled onto her like a shroud. Bracing herself, she entered the clinic. Amy's bed had been placed exactly where she remembered it. 
Finding the clinic unchanged after everything she had gone through seemed simultaneously reassuring and disorientating. She closely inspected the walls, touching them despite herself, pressing at first gingerly, then harder, as if to push away their relentless and enveloping cold. A sudden urge came upon her to punch and kick and claw at those walls. She had already drawn her fist back, trembling with the desire to destroy this place before a faint sound stopped her in her tracks. Amy stirred. Her attention was restored to all the tasks she should be doing, yet was not. Flustered, she grabbed the ultrasound trolley and booted up the machine. The baby appeared fully grown on the scan, head engaged and ready to emerge into an uncertain world. There was only a single baby, soon to be alone as everyone else appeared to be on this vessel. But wait, something was very wrong. The blood vessels leaving the heart were in the wrong position. They seemed tangled somehow, backwards maybe, and instead of four chambers, the heart had only one, a large void at its centre. The walls of the heart flapped flaccidly with each beat. This child was clearly only kept alive by Amy's ageing heart, pumping oxygen through its veins. Her thready pulse fluttered beneath Jessica's fingers. It looked impossible that either mother or baby would survive the birth unless she did something. And she had the power to do something. It was an ill-gotten power, but a power it remained. She sat back in her chair, pondering her options. Before her brain had a chance to engage, she sprang into action, scouring the clinic for the necessary tools. The captain's voice rang in her ears. Spiral dial is a state-of-the-art vessel, it said, repeating it on an endless loop. It made sense that they would have all the necessary surgical tools on board. But would they have the right equipment to operate on a baby? What were the chances, she thought, of finding a fetoscope here? It seemed impossible, and yet at the same time both necessary and inevitable, that her search would be successful. In a matter of moments, she had found it sterilised and ready to go in a tucked-away cupboard. Scrubbing up, she carefully laid out the tools she would need on a trolley next to Amy's bedside. She tried to wipe her mind blank, but it was no good. To perform this procedure, she would need to remember. The face of Colonel Black filled her memory. Those hooded eyes looming over his surgical mask. He used to wear a special surgical cap printed with cartoons. He used to make the older children laugh when he did his rounds. He'd offer them sweet treats and affection, lulled them into a false sense of security. It's true that he wasn't cruel to children, at least not when they were conscious. The children he was cruel to had yet to be born. In his mind, they barely counted as human. He'd told the women it was for their protection. They were all locals who'd got involved with the soldiers, a familiar story. Jessica had been asked to help. It had been presented to her as an unfortunate sequence of events, a rogue squadron had been on a shagging spree. Then it had all kicked off at the front line. She'd been asked to remain behind. The colonel had explained that the army had a responsibility to these women to make sure they were safe. 
It sounded so improbable now, but back then she'd been hopelessly idealistic. Even so, it had seemed one hell of a coincidence that so many of these women had got knocked up in so short a time. Still, you didn't question your orders. Hers was simple enough to provide routine antenatal care and meet any medical needs they may have during their stay in the camp. It was certainly a lot safer than the alternative. So that is what she did. For the first couple of months, things seemed straightforward enough. With not much else to do, she developed a good relationship with most of her patients and their families. Most of them were looking forward to their sweetheart's return, dreaming of travelling to England and raising a family together. Colonel Black had promised them that they would take anyone who wished to go their home, full citizenship granted, no questions asked. It was at the 20-week scans that everything started to go wrong. The first time she saw it, she thought it was a tragic one-off. The baby's heart was twisted, malformed. She told Maria, the mother, that they would have to terminate, watching the light of hope extinguish itself in her eyes. Going to inform the colonel, his reaction was the precise opposite of what she had expected. He leapt to his feet, rubbing his hands together, and rushed to her bedside. Maria, he said, I can save your child, but it's not without risk. Do you trust me? She thanked him effusively, immediately signed all of the paperwork. New procedure, not exactly approved, but promising results in initial trials. Was Jessica willing to assist? Of course she was. She had never carried out surgery on an unborn child before. But she was keen to learn. And when that first operation had tragic consequences for both patients, it had not, after all, been entirely unexpected. Colonel Black had debriefed her over a bottle of whiskey. It hurts every time, he said, shedding a real tear or two. She went back to her work, scanning baby after baby, all of them with catastrophic problems, one with a blocked windpipe, the next with a faulty heart, another whose spinal cord had not formed properly. Each time, Colonel Black offered the mother the hope of a miraculous operation. Each time they signed the forms, and each time they died. She kept meticulous records of each operation and each death, the types of incisions used. Whether the baby had died during the operation, during the rest of the pregnancy, during birth or shortly after. The end, when it came, always seemed to involve catastrophic bleeding and the women died along with their children. By this point, Jessica knew well that these procedures were nothing but experiments. And poorly designed ones at that, performed by people lacking proper equipment and training. But she carried on, believing that they were the only chance that the babies had. After all, the mothers knew the risks, and they were willing to take them. Surely it was worth it. At the end, she and the colonel were left alone at the camp. Not a single child had survived. She dreaded the day that the troops would return and ask for their loved ones. When they did come back, she hid in her clinic, trembling for a whole day. But nobody booked in with so much as a sniffle. 
She finally emerged and crept along to the dining room, but no one seemed to pay any attention to her at all. In the end, not a single one of the soldiers even asked about any of the women. Bewildered, Jessica got up late one night and looked through the clinical notes of some of her patients. She remembered a few of them mentioning who the father was, how much they were looking forward to seeing him again, and she had taken note of some of the names. It was a short list, four or five men, and it was a simple enough matter to access their files. Blank, all of them, which was to be expected. Something made her think to check the paper records. Everything was online these days, of course, but she knew that some details were considered too dangerous to be exposed to the vagaries of the internet. To her surprise, all of the folders contained an unusually complex stamp on the front page, consisting of interlocking green and purple circles, together with two words printed in bold black capital letters. Operation Comeback. There were no further details given. The realisation hit her that these women had not got pregnant by accident, but by design. Hurriedly, she placed the records back where she had found them and returned to her quarters to think, not realising that her investigations had been noted. Her days in the army were already numbered. Her attention snapped back to the present day. Those babies had died, but this one might live. She had to take the chance. As she made the first incision, the whole room started to hum. The speakers leapt into life all at once as if the band knew what she was doing and approved of it. She took comfort in the sound and proceeded to open the womb. As she did so, she saw Archie's eyes before her. They were deep in conversation in the middle of the stage, but it was not a conversation they had ever had in real life. You know this is a complete waste of time and energy, don't you? You can't cheat destiny. We'd be better off going upstairs and having a fag. He cocked his head at her and smirked, crossing his arms. Sometimes I wonder if you even have a soul at all, she retorted, speaking out loud in the clinic as she cauterized Amy's flesh to prevent the bleeding. As she did so, the music swirled and increased in volume, such that she could scarcely hear the sound of her own voice in her ears. His voice seemed louder than ever, emanating not from the speakers but from deep inside her brain as she formed an essential part of her consciousness. Why are you even bothering? You should just give up now. I would have ironed your position. Although, let's face it, your position would simply never happen to someone like me. I mean, you're up to your eyeballs in blood and gore with a hundred children's deaths on your conscience, right? And here I am making glorious, world-changing music. Isn't it obvious? She gritted her teeth, trying her best to ignore him. You know, now I'm inside your head and I can see everything you've ever done. I'm kind of disappointed. I really thought you'd be brighter than this. He turned away, gesturing to his bandmates and the audience at large. Nothing to see here, ladies and gentlemen. I'd stay away if I were you. With that, he vanished, and the room fell deathly quiet. Looking down, Jessica 
was astonished to see that she had already finished the operation. The incision was both neatly sutured and dressed. Amy's pulse was steady. Lifting the ultrasound probe, she saw that the baby's heart appeared, if not normal, at least functional. She blinked. Could it be possible that she had performed the entire operation while being oblivious of what she was doing? As she marvelled at the results of her handiwork, the door to the clinic burst open behind her. Before she could react, she was pinned down firmly. A sheet of unyielding fabric was wrapped around her eyes, blinding her and forced around her torso, holding her arms to her sides and her legs together. She struggled, kicking and spitting at her assailants, but to no avail. She was forced to yield. An unnatural silence fell only broken by the creaking of the wheels and the sound of the sea as she was pushed down the corridor to meet her destiny. <laughs>